Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How are you? How have you been? Well, today today was just work, work, work. Lots of meetings. There's new people that started at work. And so mm. that was like, welcome them in. Yesterday was just such a struggle. I found it really difficult. But I forced myself to leave the house. Yeah. And walked a little and got a good shop in. Like to do a whole week in one go. Do you find that... I find that I have to force myself to leave the house sometimes during yeah. lockdown. And really, like, it was real, like, I, I just don't want to do this. I want to just sit on the sofa all day. Yeah. But as soon as I did that, I managed to then tidy the house, then do three hours of work, and then finally sat down and watched It's a Sin. It's a Sin? Mm. Have you heard of it? Uh, don't think so. But it's lovely to be back drinking again. <laughs> well, do you know what? That's also a sin. Welcome to What? That Old Queen, a candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, their views are their own and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, let your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> Old Queen. I'm all plugged in. Do you? <laughs> can you can you hear yourself? Uh, yes, I okay, can. Yeah, yeah. Good. So it's a sin. Everyone's talking about it. I know. And it's also LGBTQ History Month, and it is kind of historical tale. Yeah. So I think we should talk about that today. Definitely. Um, what else? What else have you been up to since we've been on a six-week hiatus? Um, well, I spent a lot of it in a in a very beautiful place in Chepstow just outside Chepstow 
like literally on the border, I could walk to the bridge, this beautiful bridge. I was obsessed with this bridge in Shepstow that is from, that takes you from Gloucester to Wales. Mm. And I used to run down to that every morning and listen to Dolly Parton's The Bridge, which is about a woman committing suicide. But every day? Not every day, but I used to go for a run every morning. Okay. And there was a beautiful room, um, a studio that I could work from. So I had a quite nice time and relaxing and lots of countryside and um, running and walking and open fires. Uh, yeah, it's quite idyllic. Yeah. And sounds now lovely. I'm back in the city and it's uh, a bit grimy. Um, but did you get lots of work done? I did quite a lot of work. The first week I found it quite hard adjusting because, you know, you have that kind of adjustment for Christmas as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did do a lot of work and... But the house also meant you had to work quite hard with that house. Right. You had to like it, it took you a good half hour to get the fire going, stuff like that. So you had to work for it. Well, you had to sort of, you know, it's quite difficult lighting a fire, don't you think? Um, uh, yeah. Did you have lots of kindling? There was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched a lot of Bridgerton. Well, like I've finished that. Oh my god, I loved it. Mm. I thought it was amazing. It was a nice, sexy romp. Yeah, mm. I thought it was great. Yeah, uh, I know it was all a bit flighty, but you know mm. that's that's kind of me. Mm. So it's a few weeks away from when we started doing what that old queen season two last year, and we were in lockdown then. We didn't expect to be here now, did we? <laughs> I think I did. Yeah, because I you? was just always like, "Well, it's got to be worse in the winter, hasn't it?" I don't know. I think I. I was under a false sense of security that mm, I just thought by the like, time summer came around, we, it would all be mm. fine and dandy. Yeah. Well, we definitely are here. We can't, <laughs> there's no escaping it. <laughs> we we yeah. are. And, uh, and we're back mm. to keep you company through lockdown, the threequel. Um, <laughs> what else have you been up to? I've been cooking. Have you? Yes. So I've done... Uh, I've been learning some new recipes. Any, uh, any, is anyone guiding you through it? Nigella or... No, well, I, I normally... Um, so the BBC Good Food app, if they'd like to sponsor our show, hello, it is really good. And so I'm finding all these new recipes on, on there. And so I've made some cheese scones <gasps> or scones for snack out of it today. I love cheese scones. Which we can have now. Because we've got a guest coming up, but they're, they're not going to be with us for, they don't, for a bit. They're not interested in scones. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're on Zoom, so they can't actually oh, yeah. have any. So yeah. it'd be rude to eat while they're yeah. here. Do you yeah. want them now? Should we have them now? Yes. And can I, can I mention Elizabeth Hurley's breasts, which have been compared to scones? <laughs> 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 so the, we will name these the Elizabeth Hurley cheese scone uh, breasts. Yeah. Okay, great. Have you got any butter in the fridge? Yeah. Uh, are we recording still? Yeah. Do you want me to yeah, fail? I mean, I <laughs> did you Did you know about Liz Hurley? No. Oh, I'm obsessed with it. You carry on, Phil. Well, I've got obsessed with Elizabeth T Hurley's Christmas Christmas snow covered breasts <laughs> 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 because she. Um, I know you were a breast man. <laughs> well, Elizabeth Hurley's breasts are something quite special, and she's fantastic on Instagram. She always is doing a photo shoot wherever she is. Right. 
And at the moment, she's in lockdown with her 80-year-old mother and her 18-year-old son. And she, yeah, the, who's the son of that millionaire that had that? Um, there was the controversy about who the DNA was. Do you remember? Oh. Well, anyway, she, she she posed for this amazing photo when it snowed, and she's got her scones out, <laughs> and she's wearing like a white fur coat, and it's a snowy background. And it's the photograph is so professionally taken. Everyone was like, "How have you managed to ca- capture this photo when you know we're in the middle of a lockdown situation? You're not allowed photographers around to your house." Yeah. And so she <laughs> announced on social media that actually it was her 18 year old son that took the photograph. <laughs> Oh. And everyone was a bit like, I think that's a bit weird that your son, 18-year-old son, is taking sexy pictures of you, Elizabeth. Yeah. And then, and she, and then she retracted and right. said it was her 80-year-old mother. <laughs> and she said, I don't know if that puts the nation's, nation at rest. <laughs> um, like, Well, it's easily to be confused with a mother or a son, right? Especially when... the. Both of their ages begin with eight. That's true. So would you rather your son, your 18-year-old son, or your 80-year-old mother take sexy photos of you? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I want either of them taking sexy photos. Anyway, have try the cheese scone. I have to say, think. I'm completely... Because I've been doing Dry January, it's a real novelty having a drink. And now you've thrown an extra... Quite nice, aren't they? And you and you've left me some extra. Mm. Brilliant. They're really easy to make. The reason uh, should I tell you the reason why I made them? Because I was doing this recipe for a stew, and I wanted some dumplings. Mm. And so I was making dumplings, and then I worked out that actually it's a really similar recipe to scones, 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 because I scum, scums. <laughs> it's a scone, <laughs> but no suet. It's quite difficult to get hold of suet, isn't it? Yeah, the, no, there's no suet in these. It's butter. Mm. Butter and milk and cheese and a bit, a bit of seasoning. Delicious. Mm. So I'll put the recipe on our website if anyone wants to try making scones. I mean, bread is so last year, right? I think scones. What would you have that with apart from butter? I mean, we're just having it with butter. It's um, quite nice with Marmite on. Mm. I sometimes, if I'm having like a brunch... I might have one toasted instead of some some bread. Yeah, with poached eggs and bacon. Mm. uh, Or with some chutney. I mean, you could have cheese on cheese on cheese, but might be a bit overkill. Blue cheese might be quite nice. Yeah. I ate a whole packet of blue cheese last night. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't mean to do it. I was writing a funding application, and I just kept going back for more. Did you eat anything else? Well, I had crackers with it, but that was that was all I ate. Right. Okay. So it, it was a it was a meal. Uh, John Thomas is joining us again. Great. <clears throat> Not only to talk about it's a sin, but to talk about um, THT testing week, which is this week, is which is why we're releasing on Wednesday instead of Sunday, so we catch this. So, so that's can... Terence Higgins Trust. Yeah. Mm. So it's all about getting tested for HIV. Um. Because John does a lot of HIV awareness on his social media, etc. So we'll talk about that. 
But I came across an article. I'm just going to finish this scone while you yeah. do the next <laughs> do. feature. Which is kind of a bit of a, um, uh, it's not a kinky blink, but maybe it is. Edge play, have you ever heard of that? Mm. Not I'm doing it as we speak. Not edging. Oh, okay. Not to be confused with edging. Oh, okay. Which is kind of bringing someone to the brink of climax and then and then go down again and then coming back. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay, that's what I'm doing at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, we'll put this on our OnlyFans site. <laughs> Have we got one? <laughs> I, I think we need one. <laughs> I did explore OnlyFans site actually over when I was in Chepstow. Did you? There's not much else to do on a Friday night. Your only fan site or somebody else's? Someone else's because okay. they sent me a free trial to it. Mm. So I made the most of it. It was only three days. Anyone we know? No. Okay. Just a porn star. Right. Was it good? Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was free. But okay. <laughs> I didn't really understand how it worked, but I, I understand it now. Right. Yeah. They kind of upload videos and then you watch them. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite simple, really. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. Not exactly rocket science. <laughs> I was grateful of the free trial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm always good, grateful for a three a three trial of a, a free trial. Um, so edge pay, edge play. <laughs> I could do with some edge pay as well. Mm. For those who want something a little bit more thrilling than the milder side of BDSM, so it's kind of extreme BDSM. Not to be confused with edging, as I said. Mm. Edge play means taking a sexual encounter to the very edge of your psychological limits. Okay. An intense and erotic walk on the wild side. Now, I'm not rec- I don't recommend people do this unless they're, they're fully keyed up on how to do some of this stuff. But there are three main elements to edge play, apparently. First is a sexual role play with the implication of psychological or physical violence, also known as S&M play. The specific nature of this role play depends entirely on who is playing, since what feels threatening to one person may be boring to another. But common elements include rough play, smacking, punching, breath play, erotic asphyxiation, fire play, gun play, blood play, drawing and drinking their blood, and more. I feel it is a bit extreme for me. Well, I just thought I was suddenly thinking of Michael Hutchins. Yeah, Michael with Hutchins. the auto-asphyxiation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second part of edge play is quite literal. It means actually playing with a sharp object, like a knife uh, or other cutting implements. Again, I wouldn't recommend that, certainly not during a pandemic. But you do see that often now in films played out, don't you? I've not watched Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm, Well, that type of thing. It's becoming more mainstream. Yeah. And then the third element is more figurative and has to do with challenging the limits of a partner or partners, whatever you and your partner think is edgy is considered edge play. So remember, all of this has has to take place between two or more consenting adults, so it's not like you, you do it on your own. You can do edging on your own, but not edge play. Since edge play is supposed to include an element of danger, practitioners call this consensual non-consent. Obviously, this means that good communication, including a prearranged safe word, is critical. I wondered whether there's something about something that you find inherently repulsive, actually that being your edge, and then you work with that. 
Yeah, because I think it doesn't necessarily have to be something phys- physically violent. It mm. could be like a a dangerous scenario, mm. couldn't it? Or or yes, if it if it's someone that you maybe you think you don't fancy them, mm. but then you do. We've had questions like that before, mm. haven't we? Where people say they really fancy this mm. guy who they is not completely not their type. Mm. It's taking your taking your what you perceive to be your your type to its edge and playing with that. Yeah. There's something about repulsion attraction, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. So, there you go. I thought we'd 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 dip our toe as we as on the first episode. I thought we'd mm. dip our toe back into some extreme BDSM. <laughs> well, I'm pleased you brought it up. <laughs> Cheese scones and BDSM. I mean, you, you what get else? it all here. <laughs> Right, well, Johnny is going to join us in uh, a few moments. So shall we have a little bit of a break? Let's have a break. And we'll be back after this. Like what you're listening to? Then please subscribe on your podcast platform and share our episodes on social media. This will enable us to grow our audience so we can get advertising and sponsorship and maybe then I won't have to ask you for money, which is what I'm going to do now. So if you can spare a pound or two a month or a one-off payment, then please click on our Patreon link below and help us continue with the queeniest of old queeniest of podcasts. What that old queen. Now, back to the show. Cool. Right, so we're back, and uh, we have a special guest. Uh, Johnny has returned. Hi. <laughs> John Thomas is back in the throne room. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm feeling very enamoured to be back in the presence of um, queer royalty. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Self-pronounced queer royalty. <laughs> I'm, I'm pronouncing it for you. <laughs> yeah. When did you uh, first make your first appearance on this podcast? I don't know. I feel it was like probably quite a long time ago now. It was um, definitely before we were in a pandemic. No, it was during. Oh, it, it was, was a pandemic. Yeah, it was. It was oh. last March, I think, wasn't it? Last March or April? Yeah, it was definitely in a state of lockdown because we were all in different. We all had different windows, and you were using a different platform as well for recording. Oh yeah, we were using Whereby at that that time. Yeah, yeah, but Zoom is better, I think. Good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and how has it been for you? We were just saying that. So when we when we started the second season last March. And we were in lockdown. I wasn't expecting to be in lockdown now again. <laughs> were you? <laughs> no. Um, I definitely feel I entered lockdown one being like, okay, they said it's going to be two weeks, but it'll probably be four or six. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and then I guess it was weird. Like we knew that things weren't okay in the summer, but we kind of were being allowed to do more and more. Mm. Um, and then we like hit the autumn and we knew things were getting a bit worse and then like the winter arrived and suddenly it's like okay things are terrible um and it it kind of very much feels a bit like we're back we're back to square one but things are worse yeah but but hopefully getting better and and the fact that we have a rollout of vaccinations and and stuff is good but you've had covid as well haven't you 
I've had COVID, so I definitely had it um, over New Year in that I had a positive test result. I believe I had um, the English variant based on my symptoms. Oh, wow. Um, but also my symptoms are the same as a sort of mysterious flu-like illness I had in February, March time last year. So it makes me think maybe that was COVID as well. But yeah, like it was okay. Like I had very flu-like symptoms. I didn't lose my sense of taste or smell. Although it is taking a while that I'm still losing, losing I'm getting short of breath when I exercise um, like four weeks later, which isn't the best, but it's getting better. Right. How often are you exercising? So like throughout the lockdown period, I've been so up and down with my motivation to exercise. Um, so right now I'm in a good like going for it uh, five days a week. And I'm finding that's really helping me because I don't really have very much to do right now. So it's giving me something to do and it's giving me some endorphins um, and I will ride that wave for as long as I can because I imagine it will go away again. <laughs> and I'll get back to not exercising at all. So from one pandemic to another, can we talk about It's a Sin? Because I know you've been quite vocal about that uh, in your HIV awareness on social media and everybody's yeah. talking about this programme and it's, it's highlighted how terrible it was uh, back in the 80s and I was saying to Tommy earlier, but we were we were only a few years younger than those main characters. So being mm. on the gay scene in Bristol in the early nineties, it felt like a very similar kind of situation. And and it was it's interesting to remember how bad it was back then. And I I think after the first episode, I found it. I didn't know if I wanted to carry on because I didn't know if I wanted to be taken back there or not. Um, but then I did watch the rest. But Tommy, you said you you stopped watching after episode three. I've only yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm, I I am planning to watch all of them, but I just found that episode three was like I needed a bit more. I needed a break from it. Yeah. But uh, have you watched it all or? I've watched it all from like as a pre previously as like a theatre director and performance maker. I almost think episodes one to three kind of stand almost on their own. Mm. Um, and me and my housemate watched it together and we did it over three days but like we watched we watched two episodes in a row the first two days um and then the final one did you all cry together when i was watching it i was just crying sobbing on my own i was thinking i wonder what this would be like if i was with someone yeah well if if we were together we'd both be crying i think (laughs) yeah it was really interesting because i guess although me and my housemates I guess know a fair bit about one another and our personal circumstances and things. We haven't, I don't think any point we've really, and I I moved in with them in June as well. We've not had sort of like big, deep emotional conversations as such, I don't think really. And so also, so since I last spoke to you guys, I came out very publicly as being HIV positive. So something I find a little bit hard in drama and fiction is like HIV as a kind of storyline um, mm. or like a, a plot device. And, and also since my mum died, I find death, like fictional death, to be quite a difficult thing. Because I think for me, the reality of HIV and the reality of death seems so big and so real and so present that seeing them fictionalised brings up those feelings. But also there's something about it almost, to me, it doesn't trivialise it as such. But there's something that right, it just makes right now, it more like a plot device, maybe. Yeah, and I guess it's like I think the reality of HIV and the reality of death is never as satisfactory as it is in a story or a play or a film where you get a nice arc that brings some kind of 
catharsis or closure or moral or something like that and in reality things that happen in like three act structures and, and stuff like that so i found myself crying but trying to like not be too loud <laughs> um because i wasn't sure like where we were all at as we sat on the sofas together yeah. but i also think if it hadn't been for the three of us watching together i think tom like you i might have stopped watching i think the fact that we kind of started it as a trio almost kind of slightly frog marched me into seeing it through and i think one of the things i felt watching it and then seeing kind of the response online afterwards was it might have been trickier for me to watch and, uh, and appreciate, but I saw, I know, I know a lot of older people, particularly on Facebook, who are like my mum's friends from her generation, who really felt like they were, their story was being seen in a way yeah. that they hadn't experienced before. Mm. Um, and then also conversely, a lot of younger people who kind of grown up where HIV isn't this kind of scary thing like it was for you guys or for me as, as a young gay man. And so for them, it was like, oh my gosh, like I'm getting a history lesson. Yeah. So I wonder if there's something about being in that like intermediate section where I didn't live through the AIDS crisis. HIV was this scary thing that was like a life-changing thing, but not a death sentence and um, maybe made it my reaction to it a bit different. What I found really interesting about the whole program is that it's actually the negative responses to it because there has been like a lot of people talking about how they don't relate to it as queer people and how it sort of feels like it's uh, a show that has been hetero-washed hetero or, you know, it's it's basically for... It, I mean, it does really... I think it just does really good work in terms of, like, it tells, it tells straight people about that story that might not have been in that world. But one Twitter feed was saying how it sort of actually put a quote in from Russell T Davis about what he was doing during that time because obviously he lived through it I don't know how old he is but he's, he's a couple of years older than us I yeah think. and he was saying like what he was doing was he just buried himself in his work and he tried to ignore it but then it it started encroaching more and more closely into his work and people were saying well you know that's not that's not good enough that you, that you were the person that ignored it you should have been like as a person of a person with power you could have actually have done something but I was kind of questioning that really it's like not it's not for it's not for the individual to fight that within the world that he was living in at that moment does that make sense yeah and also I think that whole thing just caught everyone off guard it was because there was so little information back then it was always kind of at arm's length until it was a threat to you or, or that you knew someone that had it. And and so I think it was it's it was really difficult to know what to do back then. I remember being quite uh, clued up about it, certainly at university and doing some HIV and AIDS awareness stuff in like street performances and things like that um, to try and make people more aware of it. I think I did a an equal opportunities talk with some sixth formers who seem really bored about it <laughs> around about that time but what i th what i think is is great about the show is that it it does make people more aware it is lgbtq history month so i think it's good that we talk about this and it does make people aware of that history and how it was in that pandemic back then how terrible it was how 
I think he deals with gay shame really well in it and how the whole HIV thing exacerbated that at the time. And that still filters through into the LGBTQ plus society today. And I I get the heteronormalising it with the character. It's told through a like a straight girl's eyes. But I think that's it's a good MacGuffin to kind of make it accessible for a straight audience. But I think it I think it's been done really well and I think it it was good to revisit it uh as someone who kind of lived through it and um and just remember how terrible it was and how far we've come and how much better it is now. Yeah. I think watching you know, there's a group of characters who like they're, they're kind of very um secondary who from the beginning they're kind of like the leather guys who are already come trying to raise awareness about AIDS whilst the central characters are ignoring it exists. Yeah. And there was part of me being like, oh, I kind of want to follow their story. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think those are the people I would be hanging out with. Yeah. Rather than people. And I also think that what's been interesting with the reaction is like, I guess as a as a as a work of art, as a TV show, I think there's so much pressure on it from so many different people wanting it. It's impossible for it to be everything to all people. Mm. Um, and so it is, you know, I guess it's Russell, Russell's What's good vision. about it is it does, it, it feels like it's just following a particular group of friends and their story. So another criticism of it is that it sort of fails to acknowledge um, the role that uh, lesbians played within the the crisis. Um, and, it, and you're right, it does follow uh, the story through the, this uh, straight girl's eyes. But there, there, but there's no no character in in what I've seen anyway that identifies as a as a lesbian. That there's a lesbian who appears in those two lines. Uh, I think. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that does feel like a bit of an oversight, really. Yeah, I think, I think so. I was thinking about watching it. I thought about the film Pride, which I think I you know isn't particularly about the AIDS crisis, but kind of touches upon it. And that does the same thing. There's like quite a lot of lesbian erasure in that in that film as well mm. and i think that's that is a problem when within the lgbtq plus family as gay men as white gay men we're dominant so like it's often our stories that prevail because often it's like you know the white gay men who've made it in the media industries yeah who are in their 50s and they're now and now telling their stories mm. from their point of view and it is kind of erasing the roles of um people of color lesbians and, and trans people i think I wanted to watch Pride as a bit of an anecdote, a- antidote to to uh, it's a sin. It's a sin because it does make you feel happy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's our re- top tip. Yeah. <laughs> watch yeah. Pride because I queued up Miss Congeniality to watch it, but that was just too banal. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Pride is a good option. I, I love Miss Congeniality though. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> but it it was interesting go- going back there having lived through it because I I was remembering the fear the fear of getting it the fear that you got it and you had it the the fear of of getting tested and finding out you did have it so you didn't get tested and then the fear of perhaps you passing it on to somebody else and then I I think I didn't get tested for like seven or eight years and and I really wished I had because it kind of psychologically affected me in so many ways and I was negative when I was tested but it's so important to get tested these days and now I don't even blink about it and 
you're doing some HIV aware- awareness with um, Terence Higgins Trust this week, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, so as we're recording, it's the first day of National HIV Testing Week in the UK, um, which Terence Higgins Trust, which is uh, in the UK's largest HIV and sexual health charity, is kind of running a number of events. And so I've done a little bit of press and promotion for them, um, talking about kind of my experience of of living with living with HIV, being a someone who's used the Terence Higgins Trust in the past, and encouraging people to test. And uh, yeah, like I guess for me now, as someone who is positive, I don't have to go through that experience of waiting for your HIV result because definitely when I was younger, that was like that felt like the big one, like that was the scary result to get back. Whereas anything else felt like it would be curable. Whereas HIV was like that's the transformation from being one kind of person to another kind of person. It, that's how it felt to me, certainly, 11 years ago when I was diagnosed. Uh, whereas now, it's, it's very different. Like, I used to feel like being HIV positive excluded you from dating HIV negative people, whereas that isn't the case anymore. There's much there's much less, less stigma, there's still a stigma, and there's more knowledge, I think, in my experience with the kind of the, the people that, are, particularly amongst gay men that are, and LGBTQ people that I know, um, probably less knowledge amongst like a lot of the straight community, though I think, which has always been the case, isn't it? And and actually, they're they're as at risk as every, everybody else. I mean, we're because the uh, gay community is actually more aware about this. We're we're kind of clued up on being safe. We have prep now. We do get tested regularly. I've had several boyfriends who've been positive, and I've been negative, and it it hasn't affected our relationship. So it it's such a different world we live in from it's a sin isn't it like, it's such a different world um and a world that changes so rapidly like so i, I came out to my mum when i was like 16 so it was like 2004 around then and like one of her first reactions was to be like you have to be careful of hiv like it's very much associated like if you're a gay man hiv is like your number one killer kind of thing as opposed to thinking what was your HIV. mum's what, like what was your mum's relationship to it did she have friends or why did she say that was was she saying that through what she saw in the news or i think from what she saw in the news um seeing the kind of the don't die of ignorance campaign in Mm. the um the 80s um i don't particularly know of any kind of close friends that she had or people that she knew who had aids i think probably because of just where she was in her life in terms of university and then meeting my dad i think she maybe wasn't that exposed I'd, but yeah i don't think she's like necessarily personal first-hand experience but i guess in terms of her like she was very much like because i went to a roman catholic school she was quite keen to give me and my my brother and sister sex education because we weren't getting it in school so i think she that was just one of the things she was like right if you're a gay man you're at risk of hiv which i don't think was something that she would have shared with my sister or my brother but yeah, and so I was aware of it. I knew I knew that it wouldn't kill me because I knew there was treatment. And then I contracted HIV when I was 22, which looking back now, I think is quite young. But at the time, obviously, I was feeling quite grown up, <laughs> I guess. But I definitely felt like I would never have an HIV-negative boyfriend ever again. But then I did, and... And then I think once PrEP became more widely available and understood, as well as the knowledge that if you are HIV positive and you're on medication and your viral load is undetectable, that you don't pose any risk of transmission to anyone else, that's kind of really helped lift this 
I don't know, like fear or worry or stigmatize, stigmatization. And so, so yeah, so in the last kind of four years or so, kind of since like around the time I would have met you guys in Bristol, it's something that I've been like open about when dating and stuff, but also not really thought about. Whereas 10 years ago, I really felt like I carried it with me as like a sort of, I don't know, baggage, I guess. Yeah. Marked. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, and, and that again was a hangover from the 1980s and the fact that it was like a terminal condition back now and now it's a treatable condition that you can mm -hmm. live with and live a long life with. And I, I, I just think it's amazing that we've come so far, but it's still really important to get tested. And I think everyone should go and, if you haven't had a test for a while, then go and get tested. How can people get tested this week? It's all postal tests, is it? Yeah, so some so in London, I know that clinics are open around the country. It's probably different, um, but you can definitely order an online. Which let me just bring up the website so I can give the right information. So freetesting.hiv um, is a website that's run by the NHS, and you can order an at-home HIV test. Uh, which you put in the post, and then you get your results by text. Um, so something to add is that with HIV tests, if your first test comes back reactive, so it would say that you're positive, you always have to go for a second test with a nurse to confirm whether it was a false positive or an accurate positive. So I had to do 11 years ago when I had my, my test. Although I think there is something a bit scary maybe about testing at home, uh, in reality you will be with like a person when you kind of get the get the information. And that presumably there's lots of kind of helplines or advice lines for this, which um, we can put in the description of the podcast if people need to to call those. Or and we'll also put yeah. a link into the the testing website which you've just given us. Yeah. So yeah, the Terence Higgins Trust they run a, a range of like support services online, messaging, phone lines. Uh, their website's tht.org.uk. And there are other ones. There's loads of other um, support places. And imagine there's also like local support as well, depending where you live. Great. Oh, we've had um, David from Dean Street on the show before. Yeah. What's it called? David. David Stewart. David Stewart. <laughs> from the Eurythmics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he, and he was brilliant. Mm. Uh, he was the first guest actually on the last season, I think. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. So from... HIV advice. Should we go to some agony, Queens of Agony advice and do some Queens yeah. of Agony? Tommy, you ready for this? Well, I'd like, I can see John having a glass of red. Well, yeah. We? I've been doing dry January, so I'm. Well, welcome back, Tom. I'm, I'm just, I'm <laughs> overwhelmed by the, the booze. The wagon was leaving as I yeah. drew up. Are you on the bubbles? <laughs> I was just starting. Yeah. yeah, I had a bottle left over from Christmas, so I thought we'd have. Because we haven't and seen each other since before Christmas, so oh, let's, we thought we'd celebrate prosecco. Um, well, I, I was doing my pre pre Christmas like food and drink shopping, and the the queue for the supermarket was so long, which is great because then I found like the local independence, and there was one shop with a, a little blackboard outside, and it said we sell support bubbles. Um, <laughs> it really confused me, but then I realised it was a wine shop. Um, <laughs> so I just went and said, I'd like to buy some support bubbles, please, and left with some very nice Prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've definitely got the support bubbles going tonight. Yes. Although I'm running out. Um, okay, yeah, we might have to switch over to red mm. in a minute. Okay, let's do some Queens of Agony.
Right. So it's all a bit coupley. Um, are you single at the moment, John, or are you? I am Jason? single, yeah. So we're all single. <laughs> and we're going to be giving some couples some advice. So, <laughs> so right. <laughs> dear old queens and john obviously um losing yourself and becoming just one half of a couple so i've been in a long-term relationship i'm 32 and the relationship's been for 10 years now and i was wondering whether other people who are in long-term relationships feel like they start to lose who they are as an individual and start becoming simply one half of a couple and if so, what are you doing to retain that individuality? I've chosen to start doing more on my own, new hobbies, sports, gym, etc., which leads to meeting new people. That really seems. I'm presuming to... this is before we were in, in the lockdown situation. Well, I, I, um, I don't. Well, I, it might be there are other countries which aren't in a, a similar lockdown, oh, are they? Yeah. So they're doing other stuff. Anyway. It's just sometimes hard when your friends are nearly all shared. What advice do you have for retaining your individuality in a relationship? I always think it's quite nice to go out with someone that doesn't live in the same city. What? <laughs> right, right, from the start. Yeah. But maybe he could make ask... It that, make, make that your ambition maybe, to go out with someone. Or should he ask his boyfriend to move out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's always an option, isn't it? I mean, I, I always think when you move in together, it kind of, you lose a little bit of the mystique of a relationship. But, you know, I think sometimes it's inevitable that you do move in together. Um, what do you think, John? I think the shared friends thing is hard. No, well... I guess I've I've not any, I can't think of anything in my life that's lasted ten years. <laughs> so, from that point of view, it's hard to compare. Help me but, neither. <laughs> I guess with different partners I've had, there is short amounts of time. Um, there's an element of sort of either like joining their friendship group, or your partner joins your friendship group. Mm. Uh, maybe and or you make friends together. Maybe. Yeah, and then there's also that kind of jealousy thing can creep in. It's like, oh, who's this friend, like you know, that you keep talking about that I've never met? Oh, like, why do I not know them? And it, yeah. and I guess speaking from you know my happy single position right now, like um, I think it's probably it sounds like it, he's made really good choices. This fellow in terms of like pursuing solo interests, yeah, and it sounds like he's enjoying meeting these new friends. It doesn't sound like he's unhappy with his partner either, so that's really good. So I think it is just acknowledging that like, it's hard dividing your time up. I think it's really important when you're in a relationship that you do retain your individuality, you do retain your own activities separate from the relationship and maybe separate friends as well that sometimes come together with your partner and sometimes don't. It's so important because I think you go down a rocky road when you're constantly doing everything together and i know in lockdown probably everybody is because they have to but um i think it's important to have your own time because i just think that only enhances the relationship it keeps it fresh in a way i think yeah this sure. question though does make me really pleased to be single <laughs> doesn't it i just suddenly thought of all those couples like they're both called 
John or Nick, you know. Do you know Nick and Nick or John and John? It's like, no, I would never want to be Tom and Tom. That would be just the most awful thing I could imagine. You prefer Tom and Dick, don't you? <laughs> I just want to be Tom. Yeah. I, I kind of like being that awkward dinner guest that uh, they don't quite know how to... Do you feel that I feel like I'm the aw- I'm the awkward guest to things, especially when there's all couples. Mm. It's like you are the the odd one out because you're the single one. They really want you to be in a relationship because then it's more comfortable for everyone. Can't I just be me? Isn't that all right? It's all right for me to be on my own. It's all right for me to be single. And you know, my happiness is not dependent on having a relationship. So do you think this person should fake being single and I think, see actually who his friends are I think dump him <laughs> no I think they're doing the right thing they should you know start doing things individually and and you know have carve out a life for themselves as well as having a relationship I think that those are the best relationships where you each have a life but when you come together it's amazing yeah and I think um so my therapist uh gave me some helpful food for thought which was like whether a relationship is driven by need or want Mm. and it's much better to be happy with yourself and like not need to have a relationship so if you then meet someone it's like yes I actually want to spend time with you rather than feeling like I need to have someone else to like fill the void or or whatever it might be and I I think in that situation that's when you can become a bit like one organism yeah Whereas if you're like just very happy whether you're with someone or not, then I guess maybe it's easier to maintain your own friendship group, social life, but also still feel comfortable that your partner and you are still in love or whatever. Yeah. Well, three fiercely independent people giving <laughs> giving a couple of advice. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Let's let's do some other uh, coupley advice. Ever get back together with an ex? Did it work out, and was it worth it? Uh, mine has been contacting me in the last couple of weeks and wanting to meet and go for a walk. I finally responded recently and it blew up into a big fight and we did a lot of finger pointing. <laughs> then then I get a text again today and he needs me in his life. I just feel like if we just go for a walk, our old feelings are going to resurface and it scares me. Do they mean... The old feelings of the finger pointing, or, <laughs> or we're going further back. I think the old feelings. I think the the finger pointing was obviously part of that relationship. Mm. Uh yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot. Of, uh, d- haven't you found that a lot of kind of exes have been reaching out mm. during lockdown over the last year? I've had. I've been contacted by some exes. Uh, what about you, John? No, uh, no, that's uh, one of them sort of has. So, what do you mean, but, sort of? Well, whispered. I've kind of maintained friendships with most of my exes, and so one of is actually an ex from Bristol, but we both live in London now. And admittedly, whilst his his most recent relationship was falling apart, we were spending more time together, and I was kind of giving the sort of the friendly gay advice and not trying to tell him what to do, but trying to be there and there was a bit of a moment where i was wondering maybe what his intentions might be you Um, know he listens to this show don't you this is his this is his question (laughs) (laughs) Um, or is it your question 
<laughs> I, I think that because I've got back together with exes on a number of occasions, in, including most recently with my ex Max, and I feel like TV and film and stories kind of tell us that getting back with your ex is the answer to that happily ever after. I feel it's such a common trope that either there's a breakup and a reunion or someone meets their old childhood sweetheart and actually they were the right person all along. But I would say the reality of my my bitter life experiences are getting back with an ex rarely leads. <laughs> like, I was always um, going back with exes, for, but quite soon after. So you give it two weeks and then you go back because you go through that period of absolute, like you realise how boring and sad you feel on your own before mm. it's got a chance to get into its own momentum and you feel better again and then yeah. and then you go back to that relationship and you feel great again and then you realize that it was rotten from the core and then you want out again and you're going like that for about three times before you realize this is a cycle i could do without yeah i had one relationship which was actually two which was very much like that and just kept on going back and in the end I just had to break it all off because it was just it was too much I I, th- I think once it's gone it's gone I think it's really difficult to go back I think when you split up with someone you should not meet up with your ex for three months I think you should have like a clean break but and you don't talk to them at all you don't message them you don't respond to them you don't message them or anything for a, a, like at least a month and I think yeah. you need that space in order to realise how you feel outside of that relationship and how it felt inside that relationship and you're obviously grieving during that period so your your decision is really warped about going you want to go back to the familiar because it's safe and actually there are reasons why you split up i'm not saying that some some people get back together and it works really well for them but i think you need to go back with eyes open and know what the difficulties are and both of you be prepared to budge uh, make some movement there so that you can both maintain that relationship i think i was, I was listening to the sugar babes the other day which um made me think i think <laughs> that actually like when you break up with someone deleting their number and probably like blocking them and same with social media accounts because it's kind of so easy now to get in touch with your ex mm. or to check up on them whereas if you create a scenario whereby the only way to see them is to go up to their house but I've unfriended people that were exes, and then they, but they still manage to message you on Facebook. Yeah, you need to block them. That's <laughs> <laughs> quite ruthless. Yeah, but you can always unblock. Yeah, it's only for a, it's just for a period yeah, of time. Yeah, block, block them for a month or whatever. But I think yeah. it's that it's that initial few weeks where you're hurting so much, and you remember how nice the cuddles were. I think yeah. you know that's what that's what's happened to me in the past. You kind of like you gloss over the trauma yeah. <laughs> and just remember that that person mm. made you good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be yeah wary of all of that. And uh, I think mm. for this guy, if it feels right, if you're getting back together and you're just arguing, then it's not going to work, is it? If, you, if you're pointing fingers and blaming each other, then that's, I think it's over. Just move on. And then, yeah, maybe you yeah. can be friends down the road, but um, I'd advise against getting back together if it's like this now yeah i mean this sounds particularly terrible i would say (laughs) (laughs) yeah sounds awful i mean i definitely wouldn't meet up with the with them again it's just like it's almost like they're addicted to the trauma of this relationship and just you know getting on each other's nerves and that's never healthy 
Sounds a bit toxic to me. Anyway, let's move on. So same position couples. I was wondering if there are couples that are both bottoms or both tops. Do you think there are? And if there are, is the relationship open? Or what are the struggles or benefits in being in a same position couple? So this is like two two bottoms or, and two tops. I thought it was just like same sex. Like, <laughs> oh, you're in the same sex. So you've been having the same sex. <laughs> Twenty years <laughs> in the same position yeah. for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now that 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 is worrying as well. Um, <laughs> what, do, what, John? I'm going to refer to you because you you have um, you know lots of sexual experience <laughs> on and off camera. Um, so, I mean, is it? You well, know, so do I? Well. Uh, we all do come on so um but i was wondering if you might come across this more than we would so you know two tops two bottoms what do you reckon yeah so so i guess you know i feel like i am professionally and publicly identified in the position which is as a bottom yeah. whereas you know some people might choose not to publicly identify what position they have and and, in, and um i've you know friends who feel very strongly that your sexual position is no one else's business apart from the people that you're having sex with. Whereas I think sometimes in the gay community, we can be very much like, oh yeah, she, he's a bottom or like he's a top as a way of either like putting people down or labeling them or mm. mentally kind of being like, he's the man, she's the woman. That's how we'll divide the room kind of thing. And so I think that as someone who, like I am fractionally more versatile in my personal life but at the same time I think there's a lot of people who kind of don't really want to be labeled as a position and I think I feel like this person is slightly boyeristically wondering about other people's relationships (laughs) 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 yeah Um, or or maybe the the quandary is is that they're thinking of having you know maybe they're a bottom and they're thinking of having a relationship with another bottom so yeah but like I guess the question is why do you want to have a relationship with that person if you have no kind of sexual attraction to them because they're a bottom and you want them to be a top, is this someone that really should be your friend? Or if you do feel sexual attraction, is this an invitation to start to explore what sex might look like with this particular person as opposed to you just labelling yourself saying this is the one thing that I do? I think it's. it feels like a very blinkered kind of... Uh, I'm versatile and so... In some relationships, I've been completely bottom. In other relationships, I've been completely top. And in other ones, I've just been completely versatile. I think it's a bit rigid with all of with labelling yourself as top or bottom. I think you can do different things with different people. There's also lots of different things you can do. It doesn't have to come down to anal sex all the time. So, yeah. so I think two tops can work. I think two bottoms can work. And just be a bit more inventive about what you do sexually but also if you feel like you need to be topped or bottomed and you're not getting that from your partner then talk about having an open relationship or maybe having a threesome or you know just opening out that sexual side of your relationship so that both of you are getting some fulfillment i really like the fact that he said wondering if there are any any couples here like like we're in a room well it, well it's like an invitation <laughs> we're all just in this one space <laughs> well you know i mean maybe we should have a what that old queen forum where people can meet up and uh 
and connect in so many ways. Anyway, I, I think it can work. I think don't be so rigid in your beliefs about what position should be. Well, there's also the double-ended dildo. Right, you know. Also, I think so for me, like I use Grindr, but only for hooking up with. And I guess I'm lucky I live in a big city, which ordinarily you can see lots of people quite easily. And if I was dating, I'd rather meet someone in real life not you know knowing how they label themselves and if that kind of spark feels like it's there then see where it goes yeah rather than doing sort of like color by numbers like here's my tick list are you over five foot eleven but under six foot two and blah 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 because i think in reality either you feel a spark with someone get excited by them even if on paper you would ignore them or not consider them yeah Okay, I've got two more questions because we've been off for so long. I'm going to do an extra question tonight. Um, so this one, do you think it's very apt, topical because of COVID? Do you think the LGBTQ community will change much after people get vaccinated? I personally think things will get better around the world for the LGBT community as a whole, but only next year after most countries get vaccinated. My hope for 2022 is much more acceptance, love, health, as a result, more sex. <laughs> well, I, I hope that too, <laughs> especially after a year-long drought. <laughs> what do you think, John? Do you think we're going to be more accepting and loving after we come out of this pandemic? I don't know. I think it's interesting that in, I feel like 2021, depending which country you live in, feels quite different. So I feel 2020 in the US was like a terrible year, but they began this year with the new president uh, and Biden has already overturned the trans military ban. And so it feels like in the USA, there's going to be some progressive changes relating to the LGBTQ community. Uh, Meanwhile, right now in the UK, there's increasing limitations on the rights of trans people uh, and there's an increase in transphobic uh, rhetoric and I think that's really worrying and I think as as gay men we kind of need to stand stand up for and stand with our trans siblings um, who make up such a tiny percentage of the population yeah I don't know like maybe this can be our turnaround year and 2022 might be a bit more uh, exciting feeling but yeah, to be honest, I feel quite nervous. I think there's a lot of like simmering frustrations in people because of COVID and the dangers. I think people always want to punch down and um, the LGBT community often at the, the bottom of that um, punching down, punching down a pile. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting you mentioning the trans thing. That's the other thing that I felt with It's a Sin because it brought up how marginalised we were as gay men back in the 80s. And I think that's how trans people feel today. And I think uh, older members of the LGBTQ plus community should remember that. And, and, and we should open our arms and stand up and fight for those rights because... Yeah, it feels like we're we're a little bit further along than than some of our, our brothers and sisters and non-binary people that are in our community, and we should we should we should fight for their rights as well as our own. Yeah, so I'd like to be optimistic, but I think part of being optimistic is having to be proactive as well. Mm, always, totally. Well, we're, we're doing we're on this podcast, right? It, it goes yeah. out lit- literally to tens of people. <laughs> all around the room T- tens of people all around the world 
<laughs> There's like half a dozen people across the entire globe that listen to this. That's not really <laughs> it's not. Actually, we're celebrating 5,000 listens. Uh, I mean, it's across like 38 episodes, but it's 5,000 listens. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking it. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so final question. Um, does anyone else have this persistent thought? Am I the only one that gets paranoid that I'm being record- recorded during a hookup? Like, I wonder, is there a sex tape on the web that involves me in it? No, I've often thought that. <laughs> um, I, there's been occasions when I've I've been worried that that's happened. But I've also thought of recording them. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, John, you have an OnlyFans site, so you're used to recording. Yeah, yeah so, I, so, so it's interesting. So from my point of view, like, there's a really, really clear distinction for me between sex for work, which is recorded, and sex for pleasure, which I have no interest in recording because it's like, I just want to have, enjoy myself. But I've seen particularly from friends of mine in the States who are porn actors, or OnlyFans models, is sometimes they have hookups and the person for pleasure and the person they've hooked up with tells them, don't record me, as if they're assuming that their default is to record all their hookups. Right. I think there probably is a, a danger that some people do record things without consent. I mean, I'm making which... light of it, but it is actually a violation. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think anyone yeah. should be doing that. It's. I mean, it's like those. I mean, have you ever had those um, blackmailing emails uh, where they'd say we turned your camera on while you were watching porn, and we're going to email this film to everyone unless you give us like three thousand pounds in Bitcoin no. by Tuesday. Um, I had one like that this year and I just laughed. <laughs> well, I, well, I was like, well, I mean, I'm completely out. So, you know, if if they want a good floor show with your film, great. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there is something about consent. And I, I think people should be wary. I mean, um, I had a hookup in a hotel once with a gorgeous guy, but he had his computer on the side, which was on all the time. And it looked like he was, he looked like, it looked like he was filming mm. us. And I was really wary of that. He said he wasn't, but I think you, you know. I don't know. It sounds. It seems a bit sneaky to film someone without their consent. Well, well I think I believe it's illegal. Yeah, um, and I definitely say it's morally wrong. I mean, particularly from like an OnlyFans point of view, if you're not an OnlyFans model, then you have to have a release form to to show a video of someone on on the the website. So. And what's like, that process of getting your your profile up there? What's the process of getting it up? Yeah. Uh, you have to provide ID. Like a passport um, or something. Yeah, so to provide a, a really good scan or photograph of your passport, but then also one of you holding your passport so that it, it's very clear that you are who you say you are. Uh, you also have to provide your bank details so you can be paid. But I guess that also would then be linking your real name and, and the passport and stuff like that. So whatever information you're, you know, you're calling yourself on the website or whatever, they've got still got a record of who you are and, and uh, that's attached to your banking information too. And I feel there's some other paperwork, but maybe, but I can't remember now. I mean, like, the world of OnlyFans is quite a grey area in terms of it kind of sits outside the rules of pornography and they haven't really like evolved those rules and laws yet to cover it properly. How do you feel about it? Because <clears throat> being a being a porn star is is one thing. I'm guessing the OnlyFans is is similar but slightly different. Yes, yeah, so I think a big difference is you're in control of your image, whereas when you do studio porn, you're not. 
and like you sign a contract that waivers the right to your image and to it being altered and your voice being altered and things like that. Whereas the OnlyFans, you're in control of what you share. Um, you can delete it. If I was to uh, log on to your OnlyFans site, what videos would I see? Um, you would see me having sex with other models. I want to see you cooking breakfast. Pardon? <laughs> I want to see you cooking breakfast <laughs> in just in just an apron. That's that's a whole different kind of OnlyFans, <laughs> isn't it? But, but, I, but like, I think so. What is clever OnlyFans is it's it's kind of diversified. I mean, OnlyFans also has like non-sexual content on it. It has like gardening tips and stuff like that as well. It's not just a sex platform, but it's allowed people that the stu- the porn studio system might shut out from working in the industry. So, in in terms of gay men, I think one of the most successful pages is a couple in Wales who are called like I can't remember what they're called, but they're like next door, like average gay men or something, and they're just a very normal couple, mm. kind of living in South Wales. And they just share themselves having like sex and within their relationship. And um, really, did really you watch Slag Wars? I did watch Slag Wars. Would you like to be in that show? I'd love to be in that show. I think um, you'd be great. Are they going to bring it back? Yeah. So I know that they are or were planning for a second season. I guess there's probably a lot of question marks over that in terms of COVID and things like that. I guess you also have to consider how successful the first season was. I don't. Yeah. I've not watched it. I don't know what it's. What what's the premise of Slag Wars? It's a bit like so, sort of um, Britain's Got Talent or something. <laughs> but I for mean, porn, like, yeah. But but there's no there's no actual like sex. There's no sort of penetration. There's like photo shoot challenges or like right. Yeah. Um, there's more nudity on like Channel Four. <laughs> it's um. And thank goodness for that. Yeah, it's 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 compared a lot to to Drag Race in terms of its format. Um, Okay, it's a bit like find find the next porn. Well, they find they're looking to find the next cock destroyer. So it's Rebecca Moore and and Sophie Anderson who are the cock destroyers who are cis female uh, porn actors. But the cast is very is queer. So they're a mixture of gay men, um, non-binary and trans contestants. It's very sex positive to me. Like, it's almost like I don't know. It's like four episodes, yet they cram in all the twists and turns you'd expect in like an eight-week reality TV show, and so almost like an avant-garde kind of like critique or like reinterpretation of like twenty-first century reality television, Mm, but focusing on like queerness, gender, and sexuality in a way that is. You, I would never have expected to see the TV show. It's really interesting when you think about it in terms of like, you know, because I, I do a lot of work investigating queer archives or like work that might be, that you can look at through a queer lens. And I wonder what people would look at that show in 60 years time and be, yeah. where, where are we now sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, my claim to fame is that I replaced Sophie Anderson cock destroyer as a judge uh in the bristol drag pageant a couple of years ago so i, I definitely think i could be a cock destroyer. i mean i think you're more rebecca moore than <laughs> am i i don't know either of them so i mean i think if we were the cock destroyers i'd be sophie and you'd be rebecca <laughs> okay I, I think that's an accurate um allocation of identities <laughs> um they both have like un- different skill sets, and Rebecca is definitely like the organisational wizard. Um, 
Sophie is kind of like more emotional. Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of is that. That's our dynamic, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and actually. The show makes a really good, like, it's kind of, it's kind of hilarious. Like, in each episode, they keep this, like, a new message, and they go, and that is what it means to be a cock destroyer. Uh, and the idea is that anyone can be a cock destroyer, really. You don't need to be a sex worker or a woman or a man or, a, I don't know. It's like, you could be, like, as long as you're a chair and you believe in yourself, then you too could be a cock destroyer. Um, right. Very empowering. And, um <laughs> Yeah. Maybe we should adopt that. And that is what it's like to be an old queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've come to a natural end to our podcast. John, thank you so much for being our guest again. Are we the first podcast that's had you back? Yeah, I've not. no one else has asked me to return, so thank you very much. <laughs> we've had a double entry. Okay. Um, <laughs> amazing. John, say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Queens. Say goodbye, Tommy. Goodbye. Nice to be back. It's good to be back. Goodbye. It's nice to have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> you only drink. I'm just your enabler, aren't I? Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. John, thank you for being our guest. We will catch you next time on What That Old Queen. You have been listening to What That Old Queen, written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges for Hodge Podcasting in 2021. If you have a question for the old queens, or you'd like to be a guest, or you want to sponsor a show and give us lots of money, you can email hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.